The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon. And welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the global thinking has, since the beginning of time it seems, divided everything in the world up into good or bad, good or evil. The current euphemisms for this same thinking are the terms positive and negative. We eat good food or bad food. We have positive or negative experiences or thoughts. Everything is divided this way. But if we remove these terms from our vocabulary... What could we learn about ourselves, about life, and about our own potential for self-actualization? Be here today. We're going to be talking all about this. So, okay, first of all, let's look at this whole thing of good and bad. And, you know, I've had some shows that, one, one of the shows in particular that seems people go back to uh, is called Duality. And I'm going to talk about that real briefly here. Uh, what that means is that from the beginning of time, there's been a dual kind of frame of reference. People talk all the time about being one. Even uh, people in the secular world talk about a oneness that we have with each other. Um, poets from all, all time have written about our oneness. And yet, on the other hand, we feel very split off from each other and very split off from the divine what, in whatever way we see the divine individually. So... Um, how did that happen? How did we get to that place where we began to understand or think that we were separate from each other and from the divine and from vegetation and, you know, the sky, the earth, all, the, all of matter as well? Well, there's a story in the, um, in the uh, Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the Jewish Tanakh, uh, the Bereshit, uh, book of Genesis, and also uh, written about in some other texts, uh, sacred texts as well, that is supposed to be a metaphor, in my opinion, supposed to be a metaphor about the beginning of our understanding of ourselves here on planet Earth. It's not necessarily a metaphor about um, the exact literal um, view of how creation came to be. But when you look at the metaphors, they are rich with information about how we came to understand ourselves is split off. For that tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, actually the word knowledge uh, as yada, which actually means, uh, has to do with a, a, a vast array of knowledge, most importantly based in experience. Um, so it's the experience of good and evil. That's what that tree is all about. And the tree um, is actually a uh, 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 related to the whole idea of um, uh, uh, thought, 
ways of thinking, ways of being, ways of um, living into the world. And um, there's two of those in the Garden of Eden. One is the Tree of Life, which has no association with good or evil. And the other is the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. And of course, we chose the feminine aspect of humanity. And by that, yeah, I don't think it means Eve as just a woman who should be forever punished because she ate of the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. Uh, but rather, the feminine part of the human psyche that... Um, wants to find out what's inside of us. And so she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because she wanted to understand that experience. And we have to have that experience in order to complete our creation. In order to complete the creative process in which we are one with the divine, we have to first explore what it would be like to not feel like we're one with the divine. Even if we are the whole time, we have to explore the possibility that we're not. Similar to the way a child might explore you know, if I walk down this hallway when I'm two years old, away from my mother, will she go away? Um, it's, just, it's that kind of exploration, and we've been exploring that ever since. And so we're not finished with the creative process that began eons ago, um, meant to, to have us experience oneness. But in order to do that, of course, we have to experience what it's like not to be oneness. And so we've devised all these ma- plans for our survival based on the fact that A, we have to survive and B, that we are not one with the divine nor are we one with each other. And both of those two concepts are explained in that book in uh, the Bereshit of the Tanakh and Genesis of the Old Testament where it says that um, we suffer. Uh, Basically, the curse that was given to us where the soil would be hard and we'd have a hard time getting food out of it. That curse was based on what I call the duality trance state, where, where we became aware of this knowledge of good and evil as if it were the only truth. It, we became aware of ourselves as separate from the divine as if it were the only truth. We became aware of our flesh and bone as if it somehow separated us from other flesh and other bone. And, and we did not, uh, we lived into that. And because we did, because our thinking was so warped about that, that's why we struggle to eat. And that's why we suffer on this planet. Because our thinking is all warped about about what's really true in terms of oneness. What's really true is that we always are one. We always all e- are eternal. There is no such thing as death. We don't have to worry about survival. And yet, we don't live into those thoughts. We live into a, a paradigm in which we see ourselves as separate from the divine and each other. And it's very difficult for us to imagine that that's not true. Um, and the only way that we do finally uh, grasp it is when it's sort of handed to us in a download through meditation, that we, we, we're we in a meditative state and we begin to experience that oneness. And there are many people of all religions, it doesn't matter what your religion is, that have had the same exact experience of oneness, what they call a unitive experience, where you feel one with everyone and everything and you feel this exuberant joy, you feel this um, sort of peace that just won't even let you move because it's so profound. Um, those experiences are experiences of the truth, but we don't get those all day, all day, every day. And many of us are trying uh, to find a way to have those experiences all day, every day. Um, 
but we coming to know, coming to understand that the truth is we really are one. The lie is that we're not one, and yet we're living into that lie as a whole social world. And so that is why we think in terms of good and bad. Um, it isn't because there really is a good or bad. It's because we have been we have split ourselves off into that kind of thinking as a way of surviving. So if I'm good, then I'll survive, and if I'm bad, then I'll get in trouble and I won't eventually survive. And of course, that isn't true. That's we all know that's not true. Even good people die. Even good people get in trouble. Even good people have bad things happen to them. So we know that's not true, and yet we still live into that myth. Um, so, uh, so we have divided the world up into these polarities. So there's good on one hand, and, uh, and if you take a good to its fullest extreme, well, that's holiness, and that's what we call holiness. Now, I call holiness wholeness. I think holiness means we're whole. It doesn't mean we're sin free we're we're always good always because i don't think there's any such thing as sin but on the other side uh there's evil so that's just absolute depravity absolute you know sociopathy that kind of thing so what we we have the world divided up into that so that those are the two extremes and then everybody in our mind and everything in our mind fits somewhere along that continuum so that so that we so our food is even good or bad. Our associations with people are good or bad. Our the way that we think about ourselves is good or bad. You know, we can have thoughts that are bad. We can have emotions that are bad according to this paradigm. Um, but if we didn't, if we were just not able to use the words good or bad, if we were not able to use the words positive or negative, which I have have become euphemistic substitutes for good or bad, as we said in the beginning of the show, um, then what would we do? So uh, currently there is a, uh, a still a lot of talk about the law of attraction. It says that if we can maintain positive thoughts, positive emotions, and keep our vision board fresh in our mind, then we will attract all those things, places, people, events, and circumstances that we desire, and we will live a life filled with bliss. Um, and, uh, of course, that was first written about um, back in the late, 18, uh, late 1980s, and, um, and it has continued to take hold, mostly, I think, because it holds such promise for wealth and fame and all the things we want in life. Um, you know, so if I just think positive and remember that I've put a million, $10 million on my vision board, then eventually I'll have $10 million. And as you've heard me say many times before, um, I've worked with many people who have that have been followers of that belief and have ended up in my office because they're depressed and anxious and feeling worthless because they can't make all their negative thoughts go away and they can't think only positive thoughts and they can't figure out what's wrong with them. And they and even if they've managed somehow to repress all their so-called negative thoughts and uh, negative emotions, they still can't attract those things that they want. And they're working so hard to make sure that they never had a negative thought or a negative feeling, and yet they still can't attract those things. And they're feeling, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do that? And they never know to ask the question, what might be wrong with our understanding of the law of attraction? Rather, they ask, what's wrong with me? And that's the danger of that kind of spiritual teaching. It, it, it ends up being a form of spiritual abuse where, whereby we're teaching people, don't be who you are. Be this other thing, this other model person 
so that you can finally have what you want. And that's based on an old, old, old ancient belief that was around about the time when Job when Job was around. Now, the first, as I understand the timing, historical timing of the writing of the biblical text, the book of Job was written first. Um, and uh, so back during that time, he and his cohorts had a belief that if they were just good people, they would get good things, that their wealth and their riches and their you know, fame and whatever came with it, all the litter of children that they had, all that came with the package of being a good person. And, and so when Job lost all of that, he kept declaring over and over again to his friends and to his God, There's, I'm not doing anything wrong here. What's up? What, you know, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? Because I'm not doing anything wrong. This doesn't make sense. And at the end of his journey, he had incorporated a new uh, feminine aspect of his character where he was able to look inside of himself and see more of the truth of what was there and how he had projected a lot of his own thinking about good and evil and about uh, what, why he rewards and suffering and that kind of thing onto his God. And uh, he, he took on a more very diff- definitely different uh, approach to his life after that, that was much more internal, rather, internally reflective rather than based on his, the learning that he'd had as he grew up, that if he was just a good enough person, he would have all kinds of good things happen to him. Um, and that is what we all are in the process of learning as well, and that is that our, our so-called good behavior is based in a myth. And the myth is that there is such a thing as good, and there is such a thing as bad. And what I would say is those things that we typically call good are really could better be named as genuine or authentic. Um, those like being someone, you meet somebody who's really loving and caring and considerate of other people. That's, uh, we would look at that person and say, well, that's a good man or a good woman. And uh, we would not understand that we were mislabeling them. Actually, that might be more like a genuine man or a genuine woman. Um, so, um, when we come to kindness, kindness isn't even always kind. Kindness is sometimes re- relevant to um, to a behavior that says, I need to please you so that you'll like me. Or, I need to uh, win your approval so that you'll promote me. Or, I need to look good because I need to feel worthy. Those things aren't genuine, but it looks good on the outside, so we say it's good behavior. But it's not really good because it, it's, it doesn't, it, it, first of all, it doesn't even fit the definition of what we have of good. Second, it's not genuine. Um, so goodness and genuineness are two very different things. Goodness and, and uh, badness are two very, very different things. Uh, I have another book coming out uh, in the spring, summer of summer of. 2017 by Llewellyn Publishing on this very topic. Um, so stay tuned for that. But um, the idea is that what we're talking about is that there is no such thing as goodness. I'm going to say that again. There is no such thing as goodness. And equally, there is no such thing as badness or evil. Now, I, when that's the one that I get the biggest arguments about is people get red in the face and start screaming at me to tell me that, no, there is too such a thing as evil. They don't argue so much about goodness. That's interesting to me. But they get real red in the face about evil. 
Because we need to believe in evil. And that's a strange concept, but we need to believe in evil. We need to believe that there is something evil out there so we can sort of bounce off of it and say, well, I'm not that. Um, and we can define ourselves more clearly because I'm not evil. I'm not Hitler. You know, I'm not uh, a dictator who commits genocide. Uh, even some of our more modern dictators who've done the same thing. We, you know, we need, we need to have that. And that's partly why I believe we have it, just because we need to have it as a collective. We need somebody to be the bad guy out there so we can look at ourselves and go, I'm not that. And eventually we'll evolve to a place where we're not going to need some bad guy to be able to inform ourselves of who, our, who we are because we'll be so aware of who we are internally that what other people do externally is not going to make any difference. Um, so, uh, but for now we need that and that's why we still have it. We can project all of our evil onto those people. Well, they're the bad people, so they're just evil. Let's throw them in jail. Let's put them away. Let's, you know, kill them. Let's do whatever we have to do. But uh, they, they're they not in my party. That They're not in my we. They're they are not an us. They're, they're an other. They're a, a them. Um, and so that's how we do that. And we do that with all kinds of other biases as well. Uh, we're seeing that right now still in America. One of my theories about why we're still having so much trouble uh, with racial issues is because we never finished dealing with them back in the 50s when the f first civil rights bills were passed. Um, we, we handled it legally, but we didn't handle it psychologically. What we did was repress. And whatever's repressed, we'll find a way back out eventually. And here it is, back at our table again. And we're, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it psychologically now, or it's not going to go away. We could just repress it again, but it's not going to go away until we duly deal with it and begin to understand our oneness with every other ethnic group on the planet. Um, when that happens, there won't be any racial issues, and until it happens, there will be. Um, and it's just that simple. We can say they're not there because we've got laws that say they shouldn't be, but they still are. Uh, no law can change the psychology of a person. And that's really one of the things that Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and others came to say was that it's not the law, it's what goes on inside of you. Um, it's, what, it's, it's your divine self that you need to find. That part of you that is one with the divine, that's what we need to find and begin to live from that instead of all the identifications with good and bad that we have. Um, so uh, when it comes to understanding this whole thing of good and bad, what we need to understand, like I said first, is there is no such thing as good. There is no such thing as bad. There is no such thing as positive, And there is no such thing as negative. There is such a thing as difficult. Some things are difficult. Some of our emotions are difficult. Some of our, our thoughts are difficult. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're bad. And some of the events in our lives are difficult. Some of our circumstances are difficult. Um, some of the things are very difficult for us to understand why things happen in the world. That's true. But it isn't true that those things are bad. It isn't true that other things are good. Uh, and that we, if, if we can sort of sit with that for a little bit, and I'm going to challenge you to do that over the next, uh, you know, 45 minutes, the rest of the show, just kind of sit with the idea that there's no such thing as goodness, and there's no such thing as badness, and there's no such thing as positive, and there's no such thing as negative. Um, and then we can begin to talk about what really is. Um, so we'll be doing that some more right after the break. Stay tuned for more right after this.
Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you just seem to be stuck in the same pattern over and over? Sometimes life seems to be about just spinning your wheels. It never has to be that way. Listen for Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with host Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman. Mosaic art is a lot like pieces of our lives. They just need to be put back together, one piece at a time. You deserve to live a happy life. We hope you'll tune in. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden airs live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with some more about this whole idea of what if there was no, no such thing as good or evil. And uh, I want to tell you before we go any further about uh, Oprah's upcoming season, this all-new season of the two-time Emmy Award-winning series, Super Soul Sunday, featuring Oprah Winfrey's inspirational interviews with thought leaders, authors, spiritual teachers, and visionaries, premieres Sunday, August the 7th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN. The new season of Super Soul Sunday features thought-provoking in-depth interviews with New York Times best-selling author Dr. Shafali Sabari, which is going to be on August the 7th, life strategist Tony Robbins and his wife Sage Robbins on August the 14th, the Humane Society of the United States President and CEO Wayne Purcell on August the 21st, Hollywood power couple Devon Franklin and Megan Good on August the 28th. This goes on all the way through October. There's going to be many just power-packed interviews, so... You want to set your DVR or your uh, uh, recorders to be able to pick that up so you won't miss any of these shows because they offer uh, life-changing information. 
So we're talking today about uh, good and evil and what if there is no such thing as good and evil. And what we've declared so far quite openly is there is no such thing as good and there's no such thing as evil. And I want to tell you about the arguments I get from most people when, they come, when it comes to the argument about evil. Oh, yes, there is evil in the world. Look at Hitler. Look at uh, Gaddafi. Look at, you know, we got these people out there we can look at. Look at the people who shoot other people in the streets without you know, without reason. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we've got examples of people who live into an evil archetype. We absolutely do. But does that mean they're really evil? So let me talk about identity for just a minute. It is possible for us to identify with badness. It is possible for a child to grow up in a home. Let's just make up a scenario. Let's say the child grows up in a home where um, he is... Um, he is, maybe the parents are hyper-religious, some religion, and they, uh, they insist that every little thing he does must be perfect and that the slightest little thing he does wrong, he's, he's upbraided for it in some really, uh, maybe even personally devastating ways to him. Um, he grows up believing that he's bad because that's how his parents have defined him. You're bad. You've done that thing wrong. You're bad again. You've done that thing wrong. You're bad again. You've done that thing wrong. So now the kid believes he's bad. And of course, he's getting constant reinforcement from his parents. And then when he goes to school, he'll test that out at school to find out if that's really true. Because why? Because he believes that his existence is dependent on this identity now. He grew up believing that's who he was. So how's he going to all of a sudden see himself differently? Because if he does, that means he might not exist at all. Well, that's scary. So he's not going to do that. So he will start testing the teachers and the other students to find out if he can prove to, that he's still bad at school like he was at home. And sure enough, he'll find out that, yes, indeed, he, he's considered to be bad by some of his uh, peers who he bites or kicks or hits or bullies in some kind of way. And he's considered by his teachers to be bad because he sasses them or talks back or whatever. And he's told that, yes, you're bad. And so what happens is he's got to grow up believing that more he's badder and badder and badder and badder in order to continue to prove that he still exists. Because without that identity, he doesn't exist at all. That's what identity does. It gives us a platform for existence. And that's what we did when we split off originally when I was talking about the story, the metaphorical story in the, uh, uh, the Hebrew text and the Christian Bible about the tree of knowledge of good and evil where uh, we divided up into, into good and evil. We divided our experiences up into good and evil so we could experience good and evil instead of experiencing oneness with the divine. And so that's what this kid is doing. He's identified with the, the bad end of the polarity and he's trying to prove that he's bad, so he will. And he'll prove that to himself over and over and over again. But he can base it on the laws and the rules and the structures that we've devised in our world. Why did we devise those world structures? Because we believed in good and evil. Uh, if we didn't believe in good and evil and believed only in oneness, we wouldn't have to have these structures. We might have to have traffic lights to keep people from you know, hitting each other, but we wouldn't have to have the same kind of structures about punishment and and killing and murder and all that because it wouldn't be here. Why wouldn't it be here? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be here because we would be genuine people who lived into our divine self. We wouldn't be people who would need to uh, operate out of uh, polarity, either bad or good, to prove that we exist. Our existence would already be there for us because we would 
understand ourselves to be one with the divine and one with each other. So, uh, so yes, it's possible for a, a person to grow into an identity of being such a bully and such a sociop- so, uh, have a such deep-seated sociopathy that they cannot see themselves in any other way. They have repressed everything about themselves that they consider to be good because that wouldn't fit their identity. In the same way that a good person might repress everything about themselves that they see to be bad because that doesn't fit their identity. So I used to go, I've said this story before, I used to go into jails and do some assessments in jails. And and one of the things that I heard sometimes was um, that, um, you know, lady, you need to stay away from me because I'm a bad dude. And uh, what they were really trying to tell me was, this is how I see myself. I'm, I see myself as bad, and that's how I'm going to live, so you better watch out for me. Now, I'm thinking, well, if I put that in the paradigm of good, they would be warning me to watch out for them, so wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> but I didn't put it in the paradigm of good because there was no good in that person. Uh, they, they couldn't let themselves feel that. They would sneak to go and do something good for another, what we consider to be good, for another person, just like other good people, quote-unquote good people, will sneak to go do something bad to another person. Um, and it's just all about that, that polarity. It's just about I've identified with this polarity and that's who I am. Don't tell me I'm anything different because I know I'm not. Why do they know they're not? Because that's what they're, they're so afraid to find out that if... If I'm not bad, then what am I? Who am I? Do I even exist? So this whole thing about identity is huge. And again, I, I said this before, the, the book that I've got coming out in um, 2017, August 2017, by Llewellyn Publishing, is going to talk more about identity and explain it in depth. Um, but, but the idea is that we, we have that capacity to identify with something other than the self, other than the authentic self, other than who we actually are. And we, we become that. We live into it as if it's who we are. And so, yes, a person can grow up to be a serial pillar. Yes, they can grow up to be a genocidal dictator. Yes, indeed, they can do that because they've got to prove themselves badder and badder and badder to prove to themselves that they exist. But does that mean there's really any evil in the world? Well, it sure does look evil, doesn't it? And that's why it fools us so much. It, it looks really, really horrific. Uh, the scenes that we all vi- uh, have in our minds still about what happened at 9-11, that's horrific. And so we, we label it as evil because it makes sense to us that way. It doesn't make sense any other way. But what we don't know is there is no evil. And uh, that event was created because we believe in evil, because we believe in it so bad that some people feel like they have to operate out of it. And, in fact, the people who did those terrible things in 9-11 really thought they were being not only good, but extremely good. They were sacrificing their lives for a noble cause in their minds. But in our minds, what they did was evil. So, isn't that an interesting paradox? Um, so, when we, when we look at this whole thing of good and evil, what we have to look at is the games we play in our own heads about who we are and how, how we think. Not really about what's truly good and what's truly evil. So we look at na- let's look at nature where we don't really think about the paradigm of good and evil so much in nature. We think that nature is a place where is relatively, I won't say completely because we even project it there too, but relatively uh, free of this whole p- 
paradigm of good and evil. But then we look at a lion chasing after uh, an antelope and we say, oh my gosh, that lion's going to kill and eat that antelope. That's evil. Well, what we're doing is projecting. We're saying, well, that's what that's evil because the lion's going to kill and eat that antelope. How can that be good? The, li- the antelope's going to be dead and the lion's going to eat him. Uh, well, uh, I can't say that I have that whole paradigm understood completely myself either, but I can say that that um, nature is operating out of its raw essence. It's not operating out of a moral code like, like we have. It doesn't think of killing an antelope as evil. It doesn't think of killing an antelope as, as a bad thing to do. It, kill, it thinks of killing an antelope as natural. And that's what it should do because it's hungry. And if the antelope manages to get away, well, hooray for the antelope. But if not, then the lion gets to eat tonight. So, um, I, I think we, uh, we have this paradigm so locked into our vision of the world and of all the things that happen in the world that it's really, really hard for us to see that not everything operates out of that paradigm. Um, and so, uh, when we think of that, we think of that as amoral and it's bad to be amoral. Uh, it's, it's something that lacks morals must be bad. But something that lacks morals might be closer to the divine than something that has morals. Um, we, can, we can actually operate so much identified with goodness that we're, we're trying so hard to be good that we've lost touch with what's genuine inside of us. We don't feel our true compassion for other people. We operate out of shoulds and ought tos and obligations instead of real compassion. And so when we, when we talk about... Uh, what, you know, our service to other people, our sacrifice to, for other people, uh, the ways that we serve other people, or we just are so busy serving other people and taking care of other people, but we're doing it because we are afraid that if we don't do it, we're going to feel really guilty, or we're doing it because we're afraid that if we, if we, um, if we don't do it, we're not worthy people, or or we do it because we're obligated to do it. We really hate doing it, but we feel like we have to do it. We're doing our duty. We're loyal to these people, and so we have to do it. Those all things don't have anything to do with genuineness. If I do it because I have a passion and compassion to do it, that comes up raw, out of raw desire. desire. Compassion and passion are forms of desire. So that just comes up, springs up out of me. I just really want to do this for you, and I'm going to do it. And A, that comes across really different to the recipient of our deed. And B, we feel very different in doing it. Where there's no fear attached. There's no tension attached. There's no uh, internal argument going on about it. We just, it just comes from the authentic self and expresses itself in the world. And that's real, that is a much better way of being than operating out of shoulds and ought tos and have tos that are following the moral rules of shoulds, and we should be kind and loving to other people all the time, da-da-da-da-da. That thing isn't really true either. So we can operate identified with either good or bad, and yet those are false constructs based on a world we've built out of the need to experience suffering so that we could see that, oh, well, I see. I see good and bad are parts of of the suffering archetype. Good and evil are parts of the suffering archetype. 
but they're just archetypes. They're not realities. Uh, we've made them into realities by exercising them as if they were true. They aren't really real. Um, and so when we're, when we're talking about this whole thing of good and evil, the arguments that I get from other people are, well, yes, there is evil. Look around the world. All you have to do is look around and see it. And any person who would, this is the biggest argument, any person who would say there's no such thing as evil must truly be evil. <laughs> that's the one that, you know, I can't really argue with that one. That's, that's, uh, it, uh, it says that there is only this paradigm. This is the only truth and this is the only way it is. And so if you're operating out of another whole paradigm, you're something's really, really wrong with you. And there's no, you can't argue with that. <laughs> so you give up. Um, but the idea is, is based in that I'm right. Uh, I've got to be right. I've got to be secure in my rightness. And we, there's, there's so much of, of, of our, our beliefs about good and evil, beliefs about morality, beliefs about fundamentalism, beliefs about religion that have to do with this really tight, urgent need to feel safe. Uh, we need to feel safe in the world where, where bad things can happen to good people. We need to feel safe in our understanding of life. When things happen, well, it must be God doing it or it must be the devil doing it. And when, when things happen, it must be that we've created it by doing something immoral. Or if things, bad things happen, maybe we've had some negative thoughts. That's what's going on. Or maybe when bad, good things happen, it's because I've had some positive thoughts. Or maybe it's, it's because I've been good this week or, or, or for a long time. Um, and, and so we, we, we connect these dots that don't belong together at all. In fact, there are no dots. But, but we live as if they're true because we feel that if we don't, the floor is going to fall out from underneath us and we'll just fall forever. Uh, and where we'll land isn't going to be pretty. So we, we're, we're so afraid to just let go and find out what's true and false that we just hold on perpetually to this good evil archetype in order to make sure that we feel safe. If I've got morals, then I know what to do. If I've got, if I've got, uh, and even if I do the wrong thing, at least I know I've done the wrong thing. Uh, it gives me a firm platform to operate on. If there's no uncertainty here, I know what to do. Uh, and that's why we developed it, because it made us feel safe. It makes us feel safe to say, you know, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell whichever religion says that, because then we know that we don't have to live for very long with bad feelings about people because eventually they're going to go to hell for all the bad things they did, and we don't have to worry about the Joey no more. And uh, so then, it, you know, the, the, the archetype that uh, bad people should be punished for what they do, um, that comes from the whole evil side of that polarity that says that, you know, we, we know what to do with bad people. We, you know, we don't have to think about compassion. We don't have to think about what's really going on inside that person or how they got so confused about life and who they were that they lived out this bad guy identity. We don't have to do that. We don't have to. All we have to do is call it evil and brush our hands of it and we're done. That's it. We don't have to think any deeper than that. It's a real shallow way of thinking. Uh, why did Hitler do what he did? Well, I don't know, but he didn't do it in a vacuum. He did it with a lot of other people helping him. A lot of enablers helping him to get away with what he got away with. And that's a whole collective. And my theory on that is that the people who were in dire straits at that time 
needed somebody to project their hope onto and give all their power to so that he could save them and rescue them. And he needed somebody to, uh, to, to worship him and to put him up on a pedestal. And that worked really well. They had this projection, shadow dancing thing going on where they projected their shadow onto him. And he accepted it as, I am the all-powerful Hitler and I can do all these things. Um, and then he became that for them. He became that all-powerful being so that nobody could rock that boat and nobody could question it. And the very few people who did ended up dead um, so or, or very, very uh, wounded in some ways. So when, when, a, when a dictator like that rises to the top, it's because he's, he's climbed over onto lots of shoulders to get there. And the shoulders were people who supported it because they were afraid not to. Uh, they were afraid not to. And so that's how fear allows uh, megalomaniacs to get into the world and take power. It's, not, it's, it's a group effort. It's not one man. It's a group effort. And, and uh, so when we think about it that way, it changes the paradigm of, of good and evil slightly to mean, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's not really evil. Maybe it's just a bunch of people in, in like a family system enabling each other to stay in the same trance uh, that... You know, this is what's working. This is what keeps us safe. So let's keep doing it. Um, so, when when we're talking about good and evil, and we arguing arguing in favor of evil, what we're basically doing is saying, "You're scaring me. Stop rocking my boat. I don't want to hear that there might not be good and evil. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that all of what all of what I believe is true, and it makes me safe, and I'm good now." So we're going to be talking more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. If you are ready to take control of your health, your relationships, and your life, then tune in to Awakened Hearts with hosts Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. All of us are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience. Awakened Hearts will help you deepen your connection with spirit. Each program will feature live intuitive readings and special guests. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It's important to know as energetic beings how to feel grounded and healthy. We strive to help teach about the energetics within you and the world around you. Listen for Three Petals Healing with host Lauren Dillon Merrill. Through her experience and that of her guests, Lauren will bring you the support, encouragement, and knowledge to discover this every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. we're back talking today about good and evil and whether or not they're even they even exist and what we've said so far is that they don't exist um that good and evil are are constructs that we have made up to help us cope with that feeling that we developed out of eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil that metaphorical tree in which we began to see ourselves as separate from the divine so Before we go any further, I want to tell you about the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by AIHT, which offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., a doctor of ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and peace, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu or if you want to talk directly to the admissions director, you can call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Calling it your passport today. So, we're talking about, uh, as we said, good and evil. And uh, what I said in the last segment was that the reason that we hold up this paradigm of good and evil so staunchly and are so afraid to rock that boat in any way is because we're terrified that if that isn't true, then the world isn't what we thought it was and the floor falls out from underneath us and we fall forever. So what what do we do with that fear? How do we How do we... Uh, work with that fear so that it doesn't control us. Um, well, first of all, we have to sit with all of our emotions. I think that's the the answer to every emotion is sit with it until it reveals its message to us. But if we take the risk to go ahead and sit with an emotion, we can expect it to start talking to us. And what it will tell us will, is why we're afraid. Uh, so what we go to is we go to the level of fear and we don't go any deeper. We feel the fear and we figure, I've got to figure a way out of this fear. Around it, over it, you know, under it, somewhere, I've got to get around out of this fear. I've got to repress it or I've got to overcome it in some kind of way. And so that's as far as we go. But we don't go beneath it to find out what's really the truth about that fear. 
And with this fear that there might not be a good and evil is, uh, is one of those basic kind of fears that has to do with survival. It tells us that if I don't have this belief, then the, everything in the world is different than I thought it was and you know, I don't know what to do about that. Well, that very place is what the Buddha got to when uh, he began his journey to enlightenment. So all of his life he'd been taught one thing, one paradigm of living. And that paradigm was that all people are, are wealthy and uh, have everything they want and need. And all people live within this small little square box of a, of a kingdom that he lived in. And um, his father taught him that and that there was no suffering ever in the world. Everyone was always happy. Um, and everyone in his community was fairly happy. They could get everything they wanted. And, and, uh, and so there wasn't much, he didn't see much suffering in that kingdom. And so he believed it. But one day he got really curious and he decided to climb over the wall. And when he got to the other side of the wall, he found immense suffering, torturous suffering from people that were living in abject poverty. And it, it changed his whole, it crushed him. He, he, he fell apart. He had what we might call a nervous breakdown for a while. Um, and that, that's where he began his journey to, into himself, to begin to soul search enough to find out what's really true and false. So he meditated and meditated, and, and, and his meditation brought him to a un, new understanding about life. And what he came to understand was that all suffering was relative to attachment. The more we attached ourselves to having things, having situations, having people, having what we wanted in life, the more we suffered. The more we could let go of those things and just be present with ourselves inside of ourselves, the less we would suffer. And of course, many people in America today are, uh, are developing new patterns of meditation and, and having similar information downloaded to them as they meditate. And beginning to understand that there's a place inside they can go to where they can find absolute peace and um, even absolute bliss uh, so that they they know that, that they don't know necessarily, they don't have to own material goods or things or have relationships or any of those other things. On the other hand, they do have relationships and they do have material things. But what they've come to understand is that they don't need to be attached to those things. So... Um, as part of their identity. And that's what's happened with this whole concept of good and evil is that we have attached our identities to it. We have said, I'm a good person when I. I'm a bad person when I. And therefore, we have defined ourselves in terms of who we are by these concepts that can't even really be measured in, in terms of their, their veracity because what's good to one group of people is bad to another. I said it a little while ago. Osama bin Laden and his crew thought that it was a good thing to fly planes into the trade towers and and uh, into Washington, and but they we didn't agree with that. We thought it was a bad thing. So, you know, I look at that and say it was a thing. It was a thing, not a good or a bad thing. It was a thing. It was horrific. It was it was uh, a, a very difficult experience for many of Americans, and yet it has become. Uh, a place where we, it's a kind of touchstone where we touch the mystery, where we begin to say, uh, I don't know why things happen, but I do know there's a greater wisdom here. There's a deeper truth. There's, 
there's amazing things that happened as a result of this. And that doesn't mean it was right for it to happen. That doesn't mean it should have happened or it was supposed to happen. But as a result of it, it there are people that are changed. They have begun to ask deeper questions. Just like when Job was going through his trials, he became a whole different person as a result. I can certainly look back on some of the trials I've been through and say that I've become a whole different person as a result of that. And you may be able to do the same thing. And, and so, you know, we don't have to stick it in a paradigm that says it's either wrong or right. We don't have to say, you know, this is a bad thing or a good thing. And this is a positive thing or a negative thing in order to go through it. We don't have to label it. But our fear makes us want to label it. And so when we sit with the fear, what we get is, oh, I see, I want to label this because I'm afraid. Oh, this fear is telling me that perhaps I need to learn to lean into the uncertainty a little bit more. And maybe then I wouldn't be as afraid. And what I found is when you do that, when we are able to sit with the fear and hear its message and, and then lean into uncertainty, what happens is that big fear that has held us hostage all of our lives begins to go away. It begins to subside because it's delivered its message. So when, uh, when, when it comes to being able to uh, be a part of a difficult transition period uh, without labeling it, without calling it good or bad, without calling it negative or positive, what we begin to do with that is we begin to evolve into a higher vibration, into a higher place of being where we uh, allow ourselves the freedom to just experience it without judging it. And that's what so many people do in meditation. They sit with whatever comes up and they experience it without judging it. And that is, uh, that is one of the most difficult things we have to do because we want ourselves to be perfect or we want to fit into whatever identity we hold. So we feel like we have to judge whatever doesn't fit into that identity and make it fit. Make it fit better, make it, make it work better, make ourselves fit that old paradigm because if we're not fitting that paradigm, then who are we? And that who are we is one of the biggest uncertainties in the world. To be able to just go, okay, well, I'm not sure who I am, and I can just be with that for a while until it begins to become revealed to uh, who I am. That piece is huge, and it, if we could be there, then we would get, develop some real awareness of who we are as authentic beings. Um, to, to sit with, I don't know who I am. And I've had clients come into my office many times over the many years that I've been doing this and say to me, you know, I just don't know who I am. And they say it with this, oh, my God, I don't know who I am. I've just realized I don't know who I am. Oh, my God, this is tragic that I don't know who I am. And my response to that is uh, that, you know, what a, what a brave thing to be able to say. What a brave thing to let yourself know that you don't know who you are right now. And if you can just be with that and just be with I don't know who I am right now, then you can evolve into who you actually are instead of who you've been trying so hard to be. Uh, and that is a, a real powerful, potent, poignant place to just uh, be trust, begin to trust that what is true about you will begin to reveal itself to you. Uh, and that's kind of what nature does. When we, when we go out into nature, when we are, uh, watch nature, what we see is that it 
does its thing all by itself. It doesn't need anyone to make it, force it, make it have to. It just it just does. When an oak tree wants to grow out of an acorn, it just starts growing out of an acorn. It doesn't need us to say, now you grow this way or grow that way, or here's your moral code for how you're going to grow. It just grows. And that's, we have that in us. We have that capacity to, to just grow into who we are and trust that what we, who we are is going to reveal, just like the oak tree is going to have a bark reveal itself and, and eventually have acorns of its own to reveal. And um, it will grow as the sunlight challenges it to grow. And, you know, that's, that's what natural is. That's what organic is. And that's what the authentic self is. It's an organic entity. It's an organic beingness that allows us to just be present with who we are. And as we learn to sit with that, it reveals itself. So um, this whole thing of good and evil isn't necessary. It's an unnecessary uh, appendage to our thinking that sort of gets in the way of our being able to see ourselves as authentic beings. And that's why it's so important for us to rethink it, rethink it entirely so that it, it doesn't block us from, from discovering life and ourselves as it has a tendency to do otherwise, because it wants to judge. It wants to tell us who we are and tell us what we should think and tell us what we should do. And thereby, we should, that now we have a path to walk. Uh, whereas the authentic self is going to say, well, here's what's up next. Let's do that. Here's up, what's up now. Let's do that. And it's a very peaceful calling. Okay, so that's what we have today for today's show. We will be back next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.